Last week was, was fun, wasn't it? The, uh, the, the message that Tiffany gave, I, I, I felt it today. <laughs> it was reverberating through this place as you could tell that uh, we were marked by the words of Jesus and marked by our Father through that message because we became, you know, ones who praise today in a way that was just beautiful. Uh, I, I just saw like an elevation for us. We were taking that message and we were run within it. Um, the message that she was describing, you know, as uh, we clothe ourselves with Christ and we praise, and that we open up the gates of provision, provision in this case of joy and of peace and of all these wonderful things as we praise. Is, uh, that's just, that, that's like a comfort for me because that's, it seems so easy, um, and it seems like that's the way of God for all of us. He, he makes things truly easy. He, he doesn't complicate things. He makes things simple. And I, I really honor that about Jesus and love that about God and love how Tiffany is leading us in worship to step into that with such grace and uh, an obvious beauty, and it allows us to partner with God in those ways. And I want to actually, um, you know, uh, have a companion with that um, today because what she was saying I think was profound. I, I kind of want to just, you know, continue the conversation discussion that she was having a bit and really drive a stake home for it. And we're going to combine some fun concepts in our time. When Jesus came, he showed us in, in, in a man, uh, because he was fully God, fully man, and, and he emptied himself of everything that made him like God. He showed us what impact we can have if we truly behold God as he really is, as a father, uh, as good, as one who loves. He's changed the world. It's his people, us, uh, that, that started the hospitals in this, the, this, the history of mankind, the orphanages, uh, the compassion ministries. If you look at history, it, it has been those who are marked by Jesus that have done these things. And that's within you. You have within you a global changing ministry um, as you come to behold God and who he really is. And, and praise is a pathway for that. And, and she was really funny because she was talking about the difference between, you know, praising and soaking. <laughs> I'm a soaker. <laughs> and, uh, and I like um, being still before God. I enjoy that. Um, I'm, I'm very introverted in that way. And I could stay there. Um, I think I could stay there for a long time. But the longer that I stay there, the more that the Lord is like, nope, keep going out. He gave us uh, Elizabeth and I five daughters so that, you know, I, <laughs> I can't find that time, you know. <laughs> so he's always reminding me that what Tiffany's saying is true. Uh, I remember years ago, you know, I, I, I found um, such communion and intimacy with God just through being still. You know, Psalm 4610 has been a life verse to me. Be still and intimately know that I am God. Um, as a key to intimately knowing God, simply be still. And I would sit there and through my days and learn how to commune with God in that way. But it wasn't until I started jumping up and down in worship and, and dancing on my own that depression and suicide, these kind of things, lifted off of me um, in a powerful way. They broke off, and the Lord said to me, this is a gift I give to you. And so I, I love also jumping up and down and worshiping and running around with the Lord. And I would uh, commend them both to you as eyes, uh, perhaps as like wings on, the, on a plane, you know, they're, they're both necessary and needed. And so, you know, there's the calm of God, and then there's the, the exuberant laughter of God, and they're both over you at all times. Today, we're going to talk about how you become what you behold. And you have the power to become what you behold. 
we, uh, we have been learning, we as a culture, not me as a person, uh, are learning through ne the neurosciences, for instance, that much of our, some of our DNA is locked up and crystallized on the ends. There's a neuroscientist, a, a secular man named Daniel Siegel out of UCLA, and he's helping in the field of neuroplasticity to show us that we have the capacity to actually unlock our DNA that has been crystallized or hidden from us because of faulty thought patterns. And he has shown that if you rearrange your thoughts in a way that's in accordance with the pattern that the DNA and, and we as human beings were made for, then it unlocks that and it actually changes your genetics. <laughs> and he asked this question, how is it that a closed system, your, your brain, I'm an engineer by background, so, you know. How is it that a system like, like a brain, which isn't able to get beyond itself, is able to get beyond itself? Yeah. <laughs> Unless there's something within a person that is beyond itself. Yeah. And he says that the only worldview that makes sense of this, in his words, is Christianity. That shows that there is a soul in addition to a body. And that, that soul is attached to a spirit, <clears throat> which we believe in is greater than ourselves and is able to pull us out of ourselves to transform us into those beings that we were always created and meant to be. And so as we praise, we, we vocalize our thoughts, and if we agree with them, then it actually creates new neural pathways. And the ends of our DNA strands become neuroplastic. They, they become pliable. I'm speaking out of my realm of expertise, and so if you guys have better ways of saying this, great. <laughs> I'm a layman in this, and, and I, you know. So anyway, but the capacity we have to create more uh, capacity for uh, self-governance, for uh, self-control, for joy even, um, is, is available to you. God has given you this power. You have the power of creating your own reality. And that may seem like an arrogant thing because God is truth and he is ultimate reality. When we align ourselves up and agree with him in intimacy, then we create a reality that is like his and we can also transform our own reality, our families and all that stuff to become just like his, which is eternal, never ending and will know no decay and we will have joy with him forever in that place. And so you have the capacity here in this room of not only changing your reality, but changing your children's and the generations ahead for reality. And so if we as a family get this, then we can think hundreds of years from now, in all seriousness, and change nations. Okay? And so, uh, I'm, I'm all for right now, because right now, Jesus is in me, and he's a fire, he's alive, he has his eyes of fire looking at me, and there's intimacy that's there, and I'm also in faith looking hundreds and hundreds of years from now. I've got daughters, and they're going to have children, and they're going to have children, and I want them to know the legacy of intimacy that transforms them into the full being so that we can walk just like Jesus did. So maybe, maybe it's on us. Maybe we are the generation that gets to see the fullness of God in the land of living, or maybe it's 400 years from now through what you're sowing today. Either way, join in with what Jesus is saying and behold that which you're supposed to be. And so I want to show through the scriptures where we got off track and where the opportunity is to get back on track and the power that you have to, to go for this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start at the midway point or at a midway point and then look back and then look forward. So in Psalm 115, the people of Israel had had, you know, some numbers of hundreds of years to meditate on God and to understand him in, in some capacity. And so these are reflections up to this point, okay? And so I'm going to read some snippets of it. So if you have your scriptures, Psalm 115, right there in the middle of your Bible, the Psalms are like the, the heartbeat, the songs of God. They're poems to one another. 
Not to us, Yahweh, not to us, but to your name. Give glory because of your faithful love, because of your truth. If you simply just stop on that as a praise, with the belief that you become what you behold, and you can become something outside of yourself, and think about what you get if you proclaim God to be faithful and love and true. You become to, begin to, to have your heart warm that there's one who's going to be faithful to you. You're going to be warmed by one that, there is faith, that there's one who is always trustworthy that you can lean into um, as opposed to what we see and behold in this world. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Or you can become like the nations who believe that there is no God. And in that place, what is living inside of you to extend you past yourself? Our God is in heaven and does whatever he pleases. That's such a fun statement of God. And he's not bound either by anything. Okay, so this is the next part that's very important. So in verses 4 through 8 of Psalm 115, this is talking about the nations. Those are outside of, uh, of really believing and knowing God. Their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk. All right, well, that seems pretty obvious. Yeah, you know. We have a statue of a gold calf right here, and we look at it. We know that it can't hear, see, smell, and taste. It's not alive, right? <clears throat> Those who make them are just like them, as are all who trust in them. You become what you behold. The, the place where you find the place of, of satisfaction, you, you, you know, uh, you become like it. If, if you put your trust in money, you know, you become greedy. Um, you become uh, oppressive. You, you, you hold and you hoard. Um, if you find your trust in the arms of another, then you become an object yourself, and you become smaller as well. You become what you behold. The, uh, the Israelites were famous for this. Uh, if you guys remember the story, Moses comes down from the mountain, and they are worshiping the golden calf. And, uh, and then throughout the rest of uh, you know, Israel, uh, Israel's Israel. Yeah, Israeli's history is what I wanted to say, but Israel's history, um, they are known as a stiff-necked people because they were worshiping a golden calf that had a neck that couldn't look up and acknowledge God. And so Jesus quotes Isaiah 6 in Matthew 13 when he's asked, why does he speak in parables? And he says, quoting uh, Matthew, quoting Isaiah 6, um, because you will listen uh, and listen yet never understand, and you will look and look yet never perceive, for this people's heart has grown callous. Their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes. Um, he says, preceding this, um, for whoever has, oh, sorry, um, because the secrets of the heaven, uh, the kingdom of heaven have been given for you to know, but it has not been given to them, for whoever has, more will be given and he will have more than enough. But whoever does not have, even what he will be taken from him. Um, for this reason, I speak to them in parables. Because looking, they do not see. Why did they not see? Because they were beholding that which was not able to see. 
You guys have noticed this in your life before at times. Um, not only do you close your heart off um, to, um, to God, but then there, therefore you, you close your, your heart off to yourself. There was a time when Elizabeth and I, we were uh, really early in our um, marriage, and there was some uh, folks that were coming over to just help out with the, uh, um, the place where we were living. We were living with my parents, and they were just taking care of it. Uh, they were taking care of this, some stuff in the lawn, and they were hungry, and they didn't have anything to eat. I don't, I don't know why. Um, and so I, I came, and we had like a basket of oranges. We didn't have much at all in the way of food at the time of provision. And I was like, hey, do you guys want some oranges? And they're like, yeah, that's great. And then afterwards, I was like, oh, I wonder if Elizabeth's going to be mad at me. And I began to become afraid, you know, in my mind, because I, I gave these without, you know, telling her. And, uh, and so I went up to her that night, and I was like, I don't know if you remember, remember this, but I said... Uh, you know, I, I wanted you to know that I gave these oranges away, and I was a little bit afraid to do so, um, you know, and she's like, why? <laughs> it's like, well, I just believe that, that, you know, you'd be upset with me for giving away something that we had, and she's like, why would you see that about me? I'm like, oh, I don't know, <laughs> but it affected, it affected my view of her, and then I was afraid in my heart because I viewed her as one who would be stingy or would be upset with me for this, and so I, I judged her, you know? And because of that, it actually closed off my heart, and I became afraid, you know, and I, I didn't believe that God was able to supply our needs, and so it, it made me, you know, afraid for my own needs even being met within my marriage. And we see also Paul developing this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm, I'm developing some things here that I'm going to go back to, so you don't have to follow along completely, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul talks about this. Uh, he's talking about the, the, Israelis. <laughs> the Israelites. We are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the Israelites could not stare at the end of what was fading away, but their minds were closed. For to this day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, so when they read the law, the law was written on stone tablets, correct? So they were beholding stone tablets, right? The same veil remains. It is not lifted because it is set aside only in Christ. And so here becomes the key. Even to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, whenever a person beholds God, beholds Jesus, the veil is removed. For the, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so when we behold Jesus as he really is, as a life-giving Spirit, our hearts then also are reflected all that. We become what we behold. And so instead of beholding a law as our life and what we are going to be righteous by, what we're going to live by, we behold Jesus, who is love, he's life, he's the spirit. And suddenly we now have freedom in every area of our life. And so as Tiffany was saying last week, as we praise, we are clothed with Christ. As we praise God, we're, we're clothed in Christ. And so here's the reason for it. As we behold him as he really is, we become like him. You see, the invitation in this is to be transformed from glory to glory. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We all, therefore, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. And this is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so each one of you has the capacity of having endless glory, has endless capacity of becoming just like God, because he's no longer hidden from us because the veil has been opened as we look at him and as we behold him. 
The key is to actually behold Jesus, who he really is. Not a concept of him, you know, not the idea of his presence, but actually him in, in, in all of his ways. And so this all got started in the garden, and I want to have, have us just to meditate on some verses here now. So if you wouldn't mind going now to Genesis chapter 2. And so this is going to anchor in a little bit of, of, about where this comes from. So you guys in Genesis 2, you guys have Bibles? You guys have phones? Phones up? Very, very good. All right, so Genesis chapter 2. I love these words. In verse 8, Now the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man that he had formed. There was a little literal garden called Eden, and this is also a prophetic metaphor or prophetic picture of our own hearts and also the heart of God. So a garden is a place of delight, of wonderful smells and, and fruit that satisfies and, and luxurious living. <clears throat> this is the heart of God, and it's to be our heart as well. And so when you read garden, think heart, think soul. And as you see it throughout the scriptures, have in your mind that. And the same way a vineyard is, is known for the people of God and also the garden of God. The Lord God calls to grow out of the ground every tree pleasing in appearance and good for food, <clears throat> including the tree of life in the middle of the garden, as well as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Anytime you see a tree, there was a literal tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There was a little tree, literal tree of the, uh, of, of the tree of life. Whenever you see that, a, a tree is representative of a person. Okay. I'm just going to, you know, throughout scriptures, you know, in Isaiah 61, we'll see that we are oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord. Um, every branch or tree in me that bears fruit. So just, just want to put some metaphors out there for you so that you can begin to see not only is there a real place, but there's also the, the pictures of God in this, the pictures of who you are as well. Uh, and so a river went out and, uh, and, and, and made the place wet. So, uh, and the Lord God in verse 16 commanded the man, saying, You are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on that day that you eat from it, you will certainly die. Okay, so let's pause at this. So, uh, Adam and Eve, they're, they're in the garden. They're in the place of God's delight. Eden means delight. And they're, they're enjoying the Lord. They're enjoying his fruits. They're enjoying all this land. It's, just, it's astonishing. It's amazing. All that's there is good. And God says to them, All this stuff is good. This tree over here, this is part of what I've made. You know, it's good to look at. You know, it's good food. If you eat of it, it's gonna, you're going to die. Right? You got that? You're going to die. And, and, and so, you know, if you're, if you're me and you, and, and you know, you're told, hey, this book right here, if you pick it up, you're going to die. You know, what do you want to do? You just you want to, ah, you know. You, you, you'd have this visceral reaction like, ah, you know, get away. And I'd like, mark it down, no one to touch. You know, like, get away from that thing. And, uh, and so it's instructive for us to recognize what instead what, what happens. In the, the preceding passages in chapter 3, you know, the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, God said, you must not eat or touch it or you will die. She added the touch it part which is the first thing that was a little bit sketchy there, you know, because uh, again, if, if, if I know this thing's going to, 
If I know if I open it and I'm going to die, I'm, I'm, I don't want to touch it. I don't want to be near the thing. You know, it's, it's like a real snake. I don't want to get near that thing. There are some people, we, we watch funny videos of people that like to go and, and capture poisonous snakes and twirl them around and, and, and kill them and, and show you how you can do the same. I'm like, I'm not going to do that. I, uh, <laughs> you know, I, uh, I, I think I've talked with uh, Miss Weena uh, before about how we love to conquer fears. Anything that makes us afraid, we want to go after it. We had this, uh, this um, large garden spider that was outside of one of our windows um, at home uh, a couple houses ago. And, uh, and it, was, it was literally the size that, you know, my hand like this. You know, it was one of those, you know, um, garden spiders. And it, it was right outside of a window. And we'd look at it, you know, as kids, you know, with my, my, my family. And we'd stare at it. We're like, look how amazing that thing is. And then I was like, I'm afraid of it, but I don't want to be. So I'm going to go in there. I'm going to touch it and grab it and, and let, it, let it, you know, have it in the palm of my hand. And so I got real close to it. And I've got my daughters there because I want to show them that their dad is a man of courage. And they're going to work on fears. <laughs> and I'm getting closer to it. And there's this big spider and I get next to it like this and I'm, I'm getting closer to it and as it does, the thing starts hitting the web like this and moving back and forth and I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm not going to do that. I was talking with the building manager of the place where I was working. He's like, yeah, you just let it crawl on you and it'll spin webs and that stuff. You're fine. Like, no. oh. Yo, I don't want to be afraid of spiders. But for now... <laughs> There's that. God didn't say, don't be afraid of that spider. But to Eve, he said, if you eat of that, you're going to die. And we know instinctively that we don't want to touch these things. And she's like, well, you know, you didn't say touch it. And, and so what's going to happen if she touches it? She's not going to die. And then she's going to be wondering, hmm, maybe this whole thing is a sham. Let's read on. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. <clears throat> and then the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, which is what God had said he made it for, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. God didn't say that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. <clears throat> um, you become what you behold. <clears throat> We know that there's sin out there in the world, right? Yeah. Yeah. How often times do you look at it? Yeah. And you're like, hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that's good. Mm. <laughs> and we begin to behold and see something desirable in it that we know is going to kill us. Because we behold it. We, we, we wonder about it. We look at it, we're like, well, that person, that thing, that, that shiny car, I can't afford it, but maybe if I just look at it for long enough, <clears throat> if I believe that I can have it, we have to be careful for these things. Her heart, I, I, I will argue, and I will, I will say that um, because she was already beholding it, she was already in sin. You know, James tells us that, you know, that sin is conceived as, you know, as we as we essentially behold and, and let sin in and, and we, we nurture it and we, we play with it. And then the outgrowth of that is the decision that we made. But Jesus says that out of the heart flows the sins and the matters of life. And so if you've looked at a woman lustfully in your heart, you've already committed adultery. You know, if you've stolen something, if you've coveted something, you've already done it, even if you haven't done the action. And so I will argue that her beholding that fruit was the sin. 
And then after that, she was already dead. Where was Adam in this? <laughs> yeah. He was beholding his wife. Come on, guys. <laughs> he ate the tree. Or he ate the fruit. He was beholding his wife. He wasn't beholding the Lord. If he's beholding the Lord, this is disgusting. He's beholding his wife. He enters into what she's entered into. Uh, you know, this is a total aside. But each one of you are leaders in some way, in some capacity. Each one of you have, has influence somewhere. There's someone that's looking up to you. And that which you behold, to the person that's looking up to you, you see where they go? We're talking generations here in this house. What you behold doesn't just affect you. <clears throat> you create your own reality, not just for today, but for those that are coming after us. Can we be a people that our eyes are so fixed on the fiery eyes of Jesus and so pure that we can have the confidence that those who look up to us are going to turn out to be just like Jesus because of what we focus on. Have we been a generation in our country in these last years that have beheld many things besides Jesus? And we are raising up children of the fruit of sin because of our own beholding. <clears throat> Let's get quiet. <clears throat> you know the <clears throat> Adam um, you know it, we talk about judgment a lot of times in this, this you know this God is angry kind of way you become what you behold <clears throat> and you know Jesus when he's talking about you know himself being the judge it, he, he, and I'm paraphrasing, you know, this is the judgment that's happened. The, the light has come into this world and the darkness has rejected it because it wants to hide and, and, and hoard and, and hold on to its darkness. So we, we are self-judging whenever we decide to look at Jesus or not. And then we become what we behold. If we become something that is dying like a fruit, then we are entering into death. That's the judgment. Like, what do you want? <clears throat> you know, and, and, and who are you therefore becoming? And so you, you have the power in your own hands to determine the fate, not only of yourself, but of those who follow you and look after you and look up to you. <clears throat> so it's easy, you know, uh, Elizabeth is closer to me than, than, than anyone else. And there's a temptation to believe that she's closer to me than God. You know, she's visible, she's there, I can hold her and hug her. God's invisible. Well, but I, I need to feel comforted. I, I need to feel affirmed. I need to feel special. I need to feel desired. I need to feel desirable, you know. Elizabeth, give me that. You know, I'm beholding that from her because she's right there. And yet Jesus is inside of me and he's a good shepherd. The things that good shepherds do is they make that easy for us. And so it's supposed to be easier for me to believe in him and receive that there because it's already in me than looking outside of myself. And yet how easy is it to fall in the trap of saying, I just need a hug right now. I know that, you know, and, and, and I need it from you now. I need you to be on right now. I, I need you to be who I need you to be. 
I need you to be in my image right now. I need you to reflect who I'm supposed to be right now. Come on, don't you know my needs right now? So it's, it's easy, right? You know, it, it seems so. And so Jesus comes and, and he's talking about fruit and food in John chapter 6. And he's just been fed 5,000 people. And now they're coming to him because this is the meal ticket. It's so easy. We just follow this guy and I get fed. This is really great. And he says, hey, you're just coming to me because you want to get fed. You're like, yeah. Well. But I tell you, you know, there's manna from heaven that's here. And don't do the works of God. Don't do these works that will perish, but instead do the works of God that will lead you to eternal life so you'll never hunger and that kind of stuff. Hmm. Well, what do we have to do for that? Believe. In him is life, and this life is the light of man. All that you need for life and godliness is within you. Just believe. And so therefore, any lack, any feelings of lack, any fears that we have are all pathways and invitations for greater intimacy and greater capacity to become just like God. Because any place where you don't feel it is just a lie that the devil promotes that we believed in, that that thing or that person or that whatever that is is more real than the God who's inside of us. Jesus is picking this up in John chapter 4. This is so fun. Ah, this is this is what Jesus is doing. It's like imagine being Jesus. He knows this, and he's just looking for people to go and give like a glory bomb to, and like blow their mind. I mean, he is full life and full love. Everyone he's going to is like, I can't wait to show you the kingdom. I mean, can you see this? And so he shows up at the woman at the well, right in the middle of the afternoon, the place of scandal in that culture. If you showed up at that well next to a woman in the middle of the daylight then you are walking into scandal. You are walking next to a woman that everybody knows is a potential prostitute. She is one who is an adulterer. If you next walk next to her, then you're walking in scandal. When Adam and Eve were told to leave the garden, they walked into to dry, arid land that where they were going to till the soil. It was a wilderness. It was a place of scandal. It was a place where humanity was never meant to be. It was a, a lesser glory, a lesser DNA, a lesser genome. A place of dryness everywhere they went. God shows up, Jesus shows up in God, in this place of scandal, in the wilderness, at the well. Now, what was the well a symbol of? You know, gardens a symbol of the heart, trees are a symbol of people. The well is a symbol of that which you find water from, life from, throughout the scriptures, throughout the Proverbs, it talks about that. And so here at a well, it's a literal well, Jacob's well, it's there today. And it's a prophetic picture poem, metaphor, of what is actually happening in this woman's heart, in the nation's heart. And so it's very instructive not just to see this as a cool story, but also what's going on in your heart. And so he shows up to this woman. Ah, so good. (laughs) And he says in verse 7, he just looks at her and says, give me a drink. You know, know, he's, he's thirsty. Here is God entering into scandal entering into the wilderness of mankind and he's saying I'm thirsty Jesus has been where you've been before not because he's full of sin but because he loves you and he enters into where you are do you still think that you suffer alone or do you not think that Jesus suffers right there with you do you not think that he also cries with you when you cry at night 
You don't think that his dis- your disappointments are his disappointments? He enters in and says, I'm thirsty, give me a drink. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? This is scandal. <clears throat> for Jews don't associate with Samaritans. And then, and then you know, he's, <laughs> if you knew the gift of God and who was saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. If you beheld God correctly, how many times is Jesus right next to you? <clears throat> how many times have you received correction from a person that you didn't want to receive correction from? <clears throat> how many times is he right there next to you? And if you only knew the gift that was actually inside of you, you would ask and he would give you forever water. You know, what are you beholding? Are you beholding the experiences from the past of your dad and mom and, and that coach or that friend that just didn't approve of you or accept you? I, I remember one time I was in seventh grade and um, stonewashed jeans were popular <laughs> two years before I got them. <laughs> and I got them <laughs> two years after everyone had worn them. <clears throat> And I'm sitting there, and, uh, you know, when you're, when, at least for me, when I was that age, it, it was an uncomfortable, awkward time, you know, and, uh, and not getting picked to play certain sports or that kind of stuff for a guy, for me, was important, and it wasn't happening. And then wearing the clothes that mom wanted me to wear because, you know, they were on sale at this point, but they were no longer cool. But... <laughs> I didn't have, like, the conviction to, like, tell her no, and, and so then I'm just embarrassed and just feeling ashamed. In that place, you know, what am I beholding? You know, what, what am I looking at? Am I going to remember that today? And I, if I put on jeans or put on shirts, that kind of stuff, as I step in front of people, or am I going to recognize the gift of God that's already inside of me? Y'all, we do this. It's, it, this is for every one of us, you know. <clears throat> Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket. <laughs> And, <laughs> and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? <laughs> I mean, like, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but don't we ask this of Jesus? You know, you're not really that great. You know, I mean, like I've experienced like I was at that revival meeting and it was good, but it didn't last. You know. I mean, yesterday's, you know, worship service was great, but today I'm feeling dry again, you know? Is it our responsibility, you know, or, or is it us uniquely, individually? There's both, but it is up to us individually, uniquely to carry this. <clears throat> In fact, uh, okay, uh, you aren't great, yeah. He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and the livestock. And so, you know, there's this mentality that she has here that it's been done before this way in the past, and so therefore, this is my expectation today. We're entering into a season, an epoch of the church, where there's new things that are happening, and you're being asked to let go of everything, even what you think of as church. And so, um, you know, uh, I, I, I came, uh, I want to get that. So the the... Like, when I was a kid, I was an acolyte for the Methodist Church, you know, and it was, an, it was a cool thing, you know. I brought the fire down to the altar. Um, we, were, we wore robes and that kind of stuff. 
but I, I, don't, I don't remember encountering Jesus, and that's not the fault of anybody there. That's, that, I'm not, um, and that could have been a good thing for a good season, but I'm not wearing robes today. And, and we as a church, you know, we're, we're, we're going into, we're asking the Lord, whatever you want, do it. And so we could have said, we could have had a great experience from the past. Maybe we were part of revivals that have gone on in recent years. Or maybe we've had bad experiences from the past. Maybe we've been part of church where leadership was cruel or controlling or whatever. So what? You know, just because Jacob and his sons did it this way doesn't mean that this man needs to show up with a bucket. You know, instead, what are you beholding to recognize the gift that's life that's, that's inside of you? And so, you know, who is sitting next to you in the chair? That person is carrying within them the gift of life. If it's your daughter, if it's your weird spouse, you know, or if it's, <laughs> if it's whoever. I hope that there's days where you recognize that you and your spouse are both really weird. <laughs> I've never seen this before. <laughs> Neither have they. <laughs> That's the beauty of marriage. That's the beauty of getting to know friends over the course of time and sticking it out is you get to see weird things in them and go, I didn't know God can make that. <laughs> and still like that. If you behold God, and I'm serious about this, if you truly behold God and all of his manifold wisdom and beauty and all of that, all of who he is, all of his goodness, you'll see the goodness of God in the weirdest of places in people. And you'll look at that and you'll go, that's amazing. And then you won't be offended when they come to you with an idea or a word or a ministry or whatever it might look like that they want to take it that way. And you're like, that seems weird, but let's do it, you know? Because I see that there's something on you, and I want to believe in that. You have that in you wherever you go, whether it's with friends, whether it's colleagues. See that in one another. Become what you behold, and let others see that as they track with you, therefore. Ah, there's a lot with that. So, and then, then so, Jesus says, uh, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water that I give them will never be thirsty ever that's my translation. It does say ever, and it's real loud. And so, in fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up within for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so I won't be thirsty and come near to draw water. <clears throat> She's thinking about the well. Eve was thinking about the tree. Adam was thinking about the woman. Jesus is saying, Look at me. You know, the tree of life had sap within it. And that sap produces eternal life. Roots that go down to waters that yet hadn't come from the sky and springs that were underneath the ground. They were hidden. You couldn't see them. Jesus tells us that God is invisible. But if you believe in him, you will have sap, you will have life in you that will produce fruit that will never die, waters that will spring up at all times. He's invisible. It requires believing in him to have eternal life. You can't look at it and see. You can't look at me or a pastor or apostle or a prophet and say, because this person I know, it really is going to, because my parents, because they had this, therefore I know. No, you have to believe in him yourself. You have to grab a hold of him. And you have to look at any area of darkness that's inside of you and said, there's a place for God in this that I haven't yet found, but I believe that he's there for this. You come in and you look at this. 
I mean, how many times have I written in my journal or said out loud to God, Lord, I don't want this any longer. I don't want this life. I'm feeling terrible. Where are you? Anytime we step in areas where God hasn't yet come in, it's going to feel like that. It's going to feel like fear. It's going to feel like lack. That's okay. (laughs) And then he says, go call your husband and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said I don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands. The man you now have is not your husband. What you said is true. So, Jesus is so happy to reveal who the Father is. Prophesies over her. Tells her exactly who she is. When you come into an encounter with Jesus, what comes next reveals your heart. Yeah? Here's a woman considered by some scandalous, adulterous, cast off, only can go to the well at the hottest part of the day the most uncomfortable time of the day, the people of that culture said, you have to suffer to go get your basic needs met. God enters into that in Jesus, the scandal, the the, the place where the people don't want to go and send off the shameful. He enters in that place, prophesies over here, reveals who he is. And what's on her heart? What's the first thing that pops up? Because this is judgment. When you have a revelation of Jesus, how you respond shows you what you really do want to behold within you. Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, yet you Jews said that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Ah. Behind all those men, what was she really wanting? behind all that shame and scandal, what was she truly wanting? What was on her heart? Where do I worship? Where is my God? How many people do we overlook? How many people do we assume are out of their mind because they're in sin? When they just don't know their Savior. And they've eaten from the wrong fruits. But they want that fruit taken away from them. But they don't know what to do now. How many people are overlooked in our culture and our society? Because we're not revealing Jesus to them and giving them a chance to worship. What are you beholding? That when people see you, they see the Father. So they know where to worship. You see the the privilege that you have. There's no greater privilege on this planet than carrying with you the glory of God. You, You carry the eternal lives of everyone that you encounter every single day as you behold the one who shows us the Father. As you believe in this Jesus, can you do this? Will you do this for yourself? Jesus has greater love has this, no one than this. A person will lay down his life for his friends. 
Will you do this for your friends? And will you do this for your enemies? Will you behold the face of God and become like him? For your enemies online, for your enemies in politics, for your enemies down the street, for your enemies in dark places, for your enemies across the world that don't yet know God. They need to know where to worship. And there's not a place, there's a person. Jesus again I'm just going to drive this home one more time we, we know the story of Peter how at the last supper Jesus says you know tell you the truth you'll, you, you guys are going to deny me and Peter says not me I love you more than all the one else you know that's, that's exactly what he's saying I mean he didn't say it literally but he's saying I, I love you more than anyone else <laughs> these guys might deny you Better is an open rebuke than love concealed. I'll take Peter's unhidden love, you know, because it's better than, than rebuke. I'll, I'll, take, I'll take a passionate person that's just off their kilter any day, okay, to, to someone that's going to just hold their love in close and, and tight and, and play their cards well and be wise. Jesus then, uh, after his resurrection goes to Peter and, uh, and, and, and you guys know the story we've, we've, we've said it before but Peter's there by the place where he's used to he's used to the fish you know he's looking at the fish and this is my, my place of provision you know, so he's going back to the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and Jesus shows up there and he's like this can end now and so he looks at Peter and he says Peter do you agape me and that, that word is like, wow, recklessly love, full-on abandonment. Peter looks down and he says, Lord, you know that I phileia you, which is the word for like brotherly love or care. Hey, do you love me up here like you said? Peter's like, no, you know I care for you like this. Jesus looks at him again. Well, no, 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 no. Do you, do you love me more than all these? Do you, do you love me like this? Agape love, full-on, unconditional, sacrificial love. Uh, Lord, you know that I flay. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm here. And then Jesus, he, he, he comes down after that, and, and he, he says, Peter, do you flay me? Do, do, do you, you care for me? You know, Peter cannot, cannot utter the words, I, I, I have unconditional love for you. I, I can't say that yet. Jesus is trying to pull him to that place. You know, like, do you, I, I know it's in you. Do you? Peter can't go there yet. And so he gets down and he says, all right, do you, do you love me like a brother? Do you, do you care for me like this? And it crushes Peter. He's, 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 he's torn because now Jesus has said, do you love me like, like a brother like this? Do you, do you care for me like this? There's a, there's a higher way, but this is, and Peter says, you know. Lord. He says, all right, we'll, we'll tend my sheep. Yeah, you're good. <laughs> Wherever you are today, whatever you can give to the Lord, that's, that's good. You're okay. You may have had a dad or a granddad or somebody that, that really abused you, and, and you're doing the same. And, and you're trying. You, you hate that about yourself. 
I, I can only love you like this, Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm really messing up. Hey, it's okay. I see you. I'm, I'm going to enter into that with you. I, I'm going to weep with you. We'll get there, okay? Can you behold this one? Can you behold this father? Can you behold him like this for others? When others mess up to you, when they really blow it, when they wreck the car, when they get pregnant, I really blew that. I'm trying. Can we be a place that invites those in? Say, hey, we're gonna walk you. we've We've got high heights that we're going to aim at and we're going to go for. We're going to raise the dead in this place. Let's start here if you need. And how is this possible? Jesus, who is perfectly good, received all sin and became evil. He took it on himself. He, He didn't become it He took it upon himself. And he was put on a tree. The knowledge of the fruit of good and evil was nailed back to a tree. Okay? You don't have to any longer trust in that, okay? You've been given permission by the one who nailed it back. It's gone. If you trust in him, now you get the tree of life. And out of, out of you will flow rivers of living water. Springs will come forth. <clears throat> you, know, you may think that's good. You know, uh, we grow in what we know of as good and evil by the training of our senses. You, you'll get there. You may disagree with the person sitting next to you. You may disagree with your spouse. You may disagree with your kid. That's not good. Well, I think it is. God's telling me to do this. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> be careful how you judge. To be judged by. Be careful the measure that you use, for you'll be measured against you. In intimacy with Jesus, as you behold him, you'll know what is good and what is evil. If it lines up with scripture, that's that is good. That is always good. Stay there. As you're working it out and it's messy at times, continue to behold the face of Jesus. And as together as a family, we do that. We keep on going this direction and we'll get more and more clean together. But because of what Jesus has done for us, because of who the Father sent for us, we're no longer bound by our own misconceptions and what we have judged in the past. Now our minds can be free as we behold the one who set us free. And so any past entanglements, judgments, sins, all that stuff now, there's no power in them because they've been nailed back to the tree. And there they lie, waiting for death to be thrown into the fire. And so in the meantime, we continuously have these two trees in our garden, who are we going to become? Are we going to become this tree or that tree? The one that actually produces good fruit as we behold Jesus? Or the one who becomes the, the tree of death as we look at that thing, whatever that might be, and behold that? And so the, the choice is yours as a, as a people for not only yourself, but also for the generations ahead. And so you become what you behold. You are a generation changer and setter. The nations are waiting for you. The whole earth is groaning for your revelation. Jesus 
showed us what it can be like when we are totally surrendered, looking upward with necks that are no longer stiff because we truly worship God. He's changed the world, hospitals, orphanages. Let's change our jails in our nation. Let's change our politics. Let's change how we treat our enemies. Let's change how we look at one another with eyes that are fresh and pure and clean. Let us change how we raise our children. Yeah, so that's... Uh, is that good enough? Is that... Okay. All right, well, I'm going to... So I'm going to pray, and, uh, and, and we're going to see... Uh, because when, I, when I'm releasing this, this, this has been on my heart now for a few weeks. And so I'm, I'm anticipating a lot of things are coming up and are going to lift off. And I think the thing that the Lord is revealing is His compassion for you, of all things, that there's a resting place of compassion. No matter where you think you are, you're good. So I'm just going to pray, uh, because in that place of compassion comes true strength to set the world afire. Father, your mercies are renewed every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You are full of grace and compassion, showing kindness to a thousand generations of those who trust in you. We are the people of Jesus who trusted in you. And because of his faithfulness, we can receive your compassion. And so I ask, Father, that you would reveal a fresh compassion. A castaway from every one of my brothers and sisters in this room right now. Shame. Every place where they feel like they've missed it. Where they're going to be stuck in a place of a lesser DNA, of a lesser life. I, I, I command that away. I, I break that lie in Jesus' name. I declare it broken by the name of Jesus. Where anyone has been bound because they, they've not known where to worship, I, I give you freedom and I bless you right now to have a revelation of Jesus now upon you. Holy Spirit, I, I ask that you would now come upon every person right now that they may worship you in spirit and truth and be set free of addiction of consumerism, of being objectified, of all anger and lust and coveting and all forms of evil, of bitterness, of all self-righteousness. So I uproot the bitter root right now of self-righteousness in all of us. As we see your compassion, as we see Jesus, your great mercy, we have no need now to be righteous on our own. Father, I have no desire to be righteous on my own. I found it a, an unending ocean of love to receive your righteousness. Father, anyone who in here has not known how to get their own name or to make a name for themselves, I ask that you would help them now to lay that aside because they have the name that's greater than every name ever. And so whether that's in provision, whether that's in promotion, whether that's in your reputation, I bless you right now to know that you've already got the greatest name possible. Where any have been lonely because they have tried to find 
their intimacy, their partner in anyone or anything else in this world, I bless them right now to know the partner within, with you, Jesus, the, the great lover. Let us worship in these days. Let us praise you, God. As we do, beholding your face, let us become a home of the glorified, of the glorious. Let us become a home where the homeless become the glorious. <laughs> oh, Lord, heal us now. Lord, it's finished. Thank you, Lord. Amen.